This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Okay, Top Tribe, this week's winner of the 100 bucks is Dustin Goodwin. He's in the HR industry, specifically in the software as a service space, looking to increase his revenue. So congratulations, Dustin, for your guys' chance to win 100 bucks every Monday on the show to build your idea. Simply subscribe to the podcast on iTunes now, and then text the word Nathan to 33444. Again, text the word Nathan to 33444. Coming up tomorrow morning, Top Tribe, and every morning at 9 a.m., you'll hear from Oliver Palis, where I basically asked him live, would you sell for $6 million today? His answer will surprise you. Okay, Top Tribe, good morning to you. I'm smiling big this morning as I hold my coffee because we've got a great guest on. His name is Mohit Ron, and he was the, he is the co-founder of Cohesity. He co-founded Cohesity in June 2013. He is regarded as the pioneer of hyperconvergence, the first architecture to converge compute and storage to simplify virtualization. Ron founded the infrastructure company Nutanix to bring hyperconvergence to market and served as its CTO before leaving to build Cohesity. He also worked as a staff engineer at Google from 2003 to 2007, where he helped design the company's innovative Google file system. He's also served as the architect at Aster Data, a leading big data analytics company that was later acquired by Teradata. Mohit, are you ready to take us to the top? Absolutely. What a bio, my man. You are in it. Thank you. <laughs> People are just too kind. Hey, and, you know. uh, Everyone, good to great to be here, uh, and good morning to everyone who's listening. So, so Google from 2003 to 2007. Walk me through. You know, most people they go to Google, they love Google, they stay at Google, they get free salmon at lunch and ice cream for dinner. Why'd you leave? So, you know, uh, I've always subscribed to the philosophy that if I get too comfortable, something's wrong. And I got too comfortable at Google. Uh, everyone, everything was catered for. I was, uh, you know, well-fed, uh, free lunches. And, uh, you know, just life was just too comfortable. And uh, I realized that to jump to the next level, making the next quantum jump in life, I can't be this comfortable. And so I left searching for that next quantum jump, which, you know, for me was to become an entrepreneur. In uh, Google is a great company and I had a lot of respect. But one thing that uh, I was not learning in Google was how to be an entrepreneur. And I left Google in quest of that. That's the reason I left. So walk us through after Google 2007, you leave. And then, and by the way, I want people to understand Mohit, if you're comfortable sharing what you gave up. A lot of people are listening right now, sitting in their boring office cubicles or driving home on their horrible commute from their big, <laughs> boring office building going, I wish I had the guts to drop out of corporate and give up everything and be an entrepreneur. So give me an example of what you gave up. What was your salary at Google when you decided to leave? Um, my salary, you know, combined uh, all the take home with all the bonus and um, stock options and stuff, it was well north of uh, half a million. Half a million. Okay, very yeah. good. And uh, and and I had I left a lot of options on the table, uh, more than a couple of million worth. Um, was and, that because of but, your vesting schedule? 
Uh, yes, uh, um, uh, stuff that was already given to me over the years, I just left it on the table, which was unvested. But the quest more was, look, I've, I've uh, gone through the Google IPO. It's not so much the money that interests me. It's more the passion of being able to change the world. And I don't, you know, being in Google, it was already 20,000 uh, big. There's no way you can make a big difference in what Google is, uh, you know, from where you are. So I left in quest of becoming an entrepreneur and then driving that big change in the world. So what was and the next business? What was the business? The, well, I first had to learn the ropes of doing a startup. And so, and so the business was, uh, you know, Asset Data Systems. And that was not my company. That was a company done by some Stanford grads, uh, well-funded. You know, Sequoia was behind it. Uh, so I, I joined that company in the hope of How many employees were eight when you joined? Uh, at the time, it was around 30 employees, uh, and uh, by the time I left the company, it grew to something more than 60, 70 employees. And how, um, how much funding did they have behind them when you joined? Um, they had, uh, you know, some 10 to $15 uh, million dollars of Series A funding, and then uh, shortly after I joined, maybe within six months or so, they raised their next round, which was, uh, you know, maybe 20, 30 million, if I remember the numbers correctly. So it was well-funded, uh, and it, it had a good buzz in the market, and they were trying to kind of merge together the concepts of NoSQL and SQL databases. So that was kind of unique uh, and bringing it out in a distributed system. But more importantly, what I saw was that I will be working with top engineers and leading them, and I will be learning how to do sales. I would be learning how to interact with marketing. I would be learning about finances. And these are this is stuff that I needed to finally open my own company. And that's really what attracted me about Astor. And by the way, I should say the money was not as much as what I left behind at Google. That was clear in my mind. That so what was, as, as the number 30 employee at Astor Data, what, what, yeah. did, they, did you get options and what was your salary? Yeah, I, I, I got, I actually traded a bunch of uh, options for, for my salary. Uh, you know, my salary is, was pathetic. I took a pathetically low salary. You know, it was around 120,000 because uh -huh. I was, I had made enough money, but, but the options were eventually close to a percent that I took, um, you know, I, they didn't give it all to me right up front, but after they, sh uh, after they saw what I could do, you know, they, they increased the, the options to somewhere close to that. And what was so, your, just Mohi, real quick, sorry, I hate to keep cutting you off, but yeah. we have, uh, I want to make sure I get all the data. Uh, a company that was funded by Sequoia, 30 employees deep, what was their vesting schedule on the cliff on those options? Yeah, it was pretty standard. So one year cliff for 25% okay. vesting and then monthly thereafter. Okay. And everything rests uh, after four years. And describe to the audience real quick, in case they don't know what a cliff is, what that means. Yeah, the cliff means that, look, uh, they, what they don't, don't want is you join one day and then you leave after a month taking away some options because very frankly, you haven't even ramped up in the company. So, so typically what happens in the Silicon Valley uh, and actually all, all startups that I know, that there is a cliff, which means that if you leave the company for whatever reason, within one year of your joining, then you really carry away nothing in terms of equity. Nothing yeah. wastes. For once you're one year old, a 25% wastes because now you've rammed up. And thereafter, you know, different companies do it differently, but the uh, very standard thing is every month thereafter, after that one year cliff, uh, one forty-eighth of your options wastes. Yeah. So in four years, everything wastes, unless you're given more refreshes. So Aster Data was then sold to Teradata for how much money? I think the sale was, uh, it was undisclosed and I had left Astor by then, but the sale was around 325 million, uh, if, if we know the numbers correctly. Okay. Uh, and that happened somewhere in 2012. And I had left, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, it happened, uh, yeah, somewhere in 2012, but I had left 
a couple of years before that to to do Nutanix, which so I left in two thousand nine. So that's interesting. That's interesting. When you compare your equity versus your salary, if you owned one percent of the business and it sold for three hundred twenty three thousand, that means you made three hundred grand, I believe, just on the equity. Is that right? Um, so I, well, I, I didn't rest all of it. Um, oh, okay. I, I, you know, I, I left after two years of my stay there. So had I, had I been there for, for four years? Yes. Uh, it would have kind of been like that, but I, I left a little bit before. So I, I, I rested after two years. So call it 150 and, grand from equity. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Interesting. I just want to draw a comparison to what you made visa versus on salary versus the risk and, and what you made on the upside on the equity. So let's talk about Cohesity now. So you leave Aster Data, you founded Cohesity. What year was that? And tell us what Cohesity does. Um, so uh, I left Aster in 2009 and I actually founded the infrastructure company Nutanix in 2009, September 2009. And I was there with uh, Nutanix for a little more than three years. And I was the brains behind the concept of hyperconvergence, which has kind of taken over every data center in the world. Uh, and that's where you bring compute and storage together. And I'd like to tell a story there Please. to basically drive home, uh, you know, the value of hyperconvergence. So, uh, you know, let's go back to the storage industry. You know, storage industry was um, you know, you, you know, it became big in the late '90s with the advent of companies like EMC and uh, Network Appliance, and the whole, um, you know, notion behind uh, storage at that time was, hey, let's do everything in an appliance. An appliance should be something that does one thing and and one thing well. Well, that concept uh, was great in that time in the late '90s because uh, you know networking was kind of slow. Uh, uh, I'm I'm sorry, networking was kind of fast in comparison to disk speeds and CPU speeds. So it was okay putting disk on one side or storage on one side and the compute on the other side and connect that with some high performance networking. That was great. But the problem happened in the future where the network speeds didn't grow as much. The uh -huh. network speeds in the last 15 years have only grown by a factor of 10. Whereas the disk speeds and the CPU speeds have grown phenomenally, maybe 100x or sometimes even 1000x. And so now it stopped making sense to put storage and compute on two different ends and connect them with a network because the network speeds are just not high enough. I see. And so, 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 so that's where hyperconvergence came in and, and said, hey, let's stop talking about these um, you know, appliances that only do one thing well. How about we collapse the two ends and let's put a logical separation between the two. And that logical separation was virtualization. So you kind of get that separation, but only in a logical way. And that was the concept of hyperconvergence that I invented in Nutanix. Very and cool. that was my last company. And that company is about to go IPO. I believe the, uh, they were actually, they might have gone IPO in, in January. Uh, they've already filed their S1. Well, they what, might do you mean they, what do you mean they might have gone? This was your baby. How do you know? What do you mean they might have gone? Uh, so once I leave the company, I, I cut all ties because my present company is also a storage company. And I don't want to be polluted by information I have from my previous company. So I actually i am not an insider into the decisions they make with respect to the IPO. Do you still have equity? I, I do have equity, but that does not uh, entitle me to any more knowledge that anyone else in the world has. So I learn about the company now from the news, uh, just as anyone else does. How so much, yes, just out of curiosity, because this is fascinating, how much of the yeah. company do you still own? Well, the public number uh, that they published out was 8.8%. Uh, you know, it's out there in storage review and a bunch of other articles. So that's what I own. And why did and you leave if this was doing well, especially on track to go public? 
A great question. So I'm I'm a technical guy. Um, I was a CTO, and and I had built the technology. You know, if you know business a little bit, there is something called crossing the chasm, and we had crossed the chasm. Now it was a matter of scaling the business, and I was looking for the next area to apply my skills, and I saw a huge opportunity in what I call secondary storage. This is stuff that is non-mission critical in your data center. Nutanix was a company that did its stuff on primary storage, which is all about mission critical stuff. So I wanted to apply the techniques of hyperconvergence to secondary storage. And so I left to do that uh, and, and, and left Nutanix in the hands of the, the capable team that I had hired there. And they are taking the company to the next level. They have scaled the business. What was the revenue when you left, just out of curiosity? Yeah, we were. I think we were doing approximately 10 million a quarter by then. Okay. So like I said, we had crossed the chasm. There was a huge amount of interest already in hyperconvergence. But now I think if you look at the public records, they're doing something like 80 million a quarter, right? It's grown like factor of eight or 10, something like that beyond that. So a little, so bit, a little bit over a quarter of a billion dollars in revenue annually. Correct, correct. So so it's like, uh, you know, in three years, uh, it's grown, you know, tremendously. Uh, and and that's that's, you know, it's just fun to watch Every data center that I go to, I went to a big company, can't name it, just yesterday, and they were all about hyperconvergence. And I'm talking, my current company was just this morning talking to a very big partner um, that partners with the likes of EMC and NetApp and, and stuff like that, and they were all about hyperconvergence. So that's how the hyperconvergence technology has kind of taken over the world. And that concept of let's do one thing and one thing well in appliances is kind of getting challenged you know that's the fun part got it well so in talk me about cohesity real quick is it, is it self-funded uh well I, it started being self-funded so i put some of the money i made in google how much, how much? Started off. i put half a million dollars of my own money okay. to fund the company in june 2013 but then the vcs were beating my beating down my door because of the reputation i had built a little bit in uh, in inventing hyperconvergence so so very soon within a couple of months uh, i got funded by sequoia and another venture firm, which was new, called Wing Ventures. And together, they put in $15 million to put uh, uh, money into my Series A. And, was that uh, an equity it, round, or was it a convertible note? Uh, it was an equity round. And what, was, was, the, totally what, was, the, what was the pre-money valuation on the 15? Uh, that I cannot uh, reveal. The, the pre-money valuation, the valuations I cannot reveal on this call. But let's just say it was pretty high. In Sequoia's uh, own words, they have not given that high evaluation to any enterprise company in, in the last four years before 2013. Above or below $50 million pre-money valuation? Uh, uh, that $15 million was the money they put in. The pre-money was obviously higher than that. No, no, sorry. Uh, I said 50, five, zero million. Above or it below? Was, it was below. It was below that. Okay, uh, okay. It was below that. So you sell a big chunk in the company in your Series A. That was, what, two years ago? And that was uh, a little more than two years ago. So Series A was raised in November 2013. And I raised my Series B in May 2015, which was last year. And that was, again, another record. Um, you know, we raised $55 million at a humongous valuation. Uh, you know, it was the valuation was something that I personally have never heard of before in an enterprise company. Oh, come CDs on, Mohit. You're like, you, you're, you're a super smart dev guy, but you're also a damn good marketer. You can't build me up. This is like bad sex. You can't build me up like this and then not give me some numbers. Above or below $150 million? Uh, above, much above. Above, above or below a, a half a billion? 
uh, below. Okay. <laughs> that's so as, some, that's somewhere as between, far as I can go. Somewhere, <laughs> somewhere between 150 million and 500 million pre-money valuation, Mohit. So what is the, you know, this business in terms of revenue, I, I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm certain my audience, well, I know I don't understand the whole technical space, but everybody understands revenue. Is this a SaaS product? Is it, are people pay you monthly? Uh, no, this is an enterprise product. So basically we uh, have uh, clusters, hardware clusters, where we bundle our software and then we sell that as a cluster. Or if you want to call, I don't want to use the name appliance, but uh, it's kind of like an appliance. It just does multiple things. Got it. It doesn't do one thing well. So in 2015, how much revenue did you guys do? Um, so we actually GA'd, um, you know, in October. So the money that or the phenomenal valuation I'm talking about is it was all raised on the promise and the reputation. Uh, we GA'd in October and we have... Wait, what, is GA'd, not, what does GA'd mean? GA means general availability. It means that the product is no longer in alpha or beta phase. Okay. So when you develop a, comp- uh, a company, an enterprise company, first you enter uh, alpha phase where you're like, okay, this is a, t- a test product. It can fail anytime. It can have any. Uh, it can have bugs. And there are some early adopters who would go and test it for you. Mohit, are you going to tell me you don't have any revenue? I, I have actually revenue, but I can't reveal the numbers. I, the revenues are looking quite good, but I will not say the revenues are high enough to come in, to justify that valuation I talked about, right? So that's going to take some time to kind of go up to that level. Give us some range. I mean, are, are we, like, some range, whatever you're comfortable. Oh, okay. It's, right now, it's below $10 million. It's okay. That, annually? Uh, my, uh, that's, I mean, it's GA since October. It's been two months. Yes. So but annually. It's annually. Uh, it's it, it, the revenue we've made in two months. Okay, is under ten million. <laughs> it's under ten million. So yes. look, I mean, Mohit, what this really what this really puts focus on is again, if you're getting somewhere north of a hundred fifty million dollar valuation on your Series B, it's because yeah. of, you know Bill at Sequoia is really putting a premium on your you know experience and and your thought leadership and essentially inventing hyperconvergence. So is Garab at, at, at Wing Venture and all these guys. Correct. Yeah, very cool. Absolutely. Well, hey, we're about to get into my favorite part of the show, Mohit. Before we do, though, if people want to connect with you online, where can they do that? Um, so people can email me at my work email. That's uh, my last name, E-R-O-N, at Um They can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, my first name is Mohit, M-O-H-I-T, the last name is E-R-O-N. Happy to connect with them, exchange messages, offer any help that I can, any advice about entrepreneurship, more than happy to help. Um, so yeah, there you go. Okay, Top Tribe, do not forget your chance to win a hundred bucks right here on the podcast every Monday. It's very simple. You just subscribe to the show on iTunes. And then once you've done that, text me to prove that you've done it. My number is 703-431-2709. Subscribe now and text me to enter 703-431-2709. Okay, Top Tribe, many of you have asked me, how do I get my site going so fast and so cheaply? Well, I use HostGator. Specifically, they've got 4,500 templates. They've got a free e-commerce plugin. And quite frankly, I blow the heck out of their support. 24-7 support, which I love. It's ideal for WordPress. Okay, they've got a free website builder. All right. Now, I worked out a great deal for you guys that you can grab right now and join jump in at hostgator.com forward slash Nathan. Mohit, real quick, do you hate marketers? Uh, do I, I do not hate marketers. I hate bad marketers. Bad marketers <laughs> who, who just have a lot of fluff without any substance behind them. I love marketers who actually have substance and are able to articulate that message correctly 
for the benefit of the audience. Who is your marketing? Who's like your, you're obviously the co you know, a CEO. You are definitely the, the, the tech guy. Do you have a CEO co-founder who's the kind of business and marketing guy? Or girl? I, I, I have a COO uh, who I hired three months back. He's a great guy, Ricardo Di Blasio. He's an Italian. Talk to him sometimes. You'll see all the Italian coming out of him. <laughs> he joined me. He joined me. He was the SVP of sales and marketing at VMware before joining us. And he's the guy who is in charge of uh, some of the business units. Like he effectively heads sales in my company and he owns part of the marketing. Very um, cool. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, Mohit, we're about to get to my favorite part of the show. No pressure, but you know what's next? Go ahead. It's time for the Famous Five. Are you ready? Sure. Mohit, number one, what is your favorite business book? I think I would say it's Crossing the Chasm, uh, which kind of teaches you uh, how the kind of the different phases of technology adoption evolve and how it matters to your startup. This so, is Jeffrey Moore, correct? That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Number two, is there a CEO that you're following or studying right now? Um, you know, I follow Steve Jobs. The, oh. guy, the guy's passion is just immense. He didn't have to do any of that stuff. And yet he kept inventing, inventing and inventing. He kept defying stuff that traditional business books talk about. It was he kept building startups within a big company. That's the CEO I want to follow. Number three, is there a favorite online tool you have like Evernote? It is Evernote. You know, <laughs> it is Evernote. I, I can't live without Evernote. I use that to organize myself. I use that to plan my day. I use that, you know, you talk about, we talked about crossing the chasm. I have it summarized in Evernote. So I, I don't have to go pick up the book now. I just go look at my summary to see what the book in essence says because I forget. Uh, and I have summaries of all the other books that I like in Evernote. And, and, and let's say I'm traveling. I have my tickets on Evernote. So everything that I do is, uh, you know, revolving around Evernote. Number four, Mohit, what is your situation? Married, single, do you have kids? I have married. I have four kids, two human and two canine. <laughs> and how old are you? Uh, I'm, I'm 42 years old. Okay, so here's my question. You're building this empire. Yes or no? Are you getting eight hours of sleep every night? Uh, you know, uh, the average is yes, but uh, daily it's no. Uh, on average, I'm lucky if I get sex but I try to make it up on the weekends. That's the way I work. You know, that is a pattern I'm seeing more and more. We had Alan Bach on who is growing a business, did 900 million last year. He does the same exact thing. It's, it's interesting. So last question, Mohit, you're 42. Take us back 22 years. What do you wish your 20 uh, year old Mohit Aran knew? Um, I wish that Mohit Aran knew to trust his gut. One thing I've learned over the years is if your gut says, go left, then you should go left um, because your gut over the years has learned this. We have this animal instinct of telling us what's right and wrong. Trust your gut. That's the one thing I'll go tell that young guy because I have often violated that to my own detriment. Top tribe. There you have it. This is episode 199. If you want to search it on SoundCloud or Stitcher to get show notes, Mohit Aran from starting off at Google in 2007 to jumping out, giving up a half million dollar compensation plan to jump in a startup. He launched many startups since then, his most recent one with a valuation over $150 million. He's the inventor of hyperconvergence. Mohit, thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you, Nathan, and uh, happy to be with uh, you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Okay, Top Tribe, I'll see you bright and early tomorrow morning. And don't forget, before you listen to any other episodes, subscribe on iTunes right now for your chance to win 100 bucks every Monday. 
If you guys enjoyed Mohi today, you'll love Nick Tart from yesterday. He runs Freelance Marketplace Awesome Web. It's making a lot of money and already has 1,100 active freelancers.